Amen. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. And we thank you that, that Lord, you did take our place. And that it's not the wisdom of men that saves us, but the power of the cross. Lord, it's your awesome work, Lord, as you took our sin upon your Son. And Lord, that he suffered and died that we might have eternal life. We pray, Lord, now as we go to your word, that you would teach us and minister to every single heart that is here. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. If you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one, so raise your hand. I think they told you that before, but if you didn't get one. And if you do have one, turn to 1 Corinthians. We're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. We're going to pick up this morning uh, at verse 17. We kind of looked at that a little bit last week. But before we do that, I am going to take a moment just to kind of catch you up and give you a little background on Corinthians. Because Corinthians, as we talked about last week, has been referred to by some as, as First Californians. Because it is a book about a, a people and a place that is very much like the place we live in today. Where Romans was a very doctrinally uh, truth book based on just the doctrines of the Word of God. Corinthians is a very practical book that speaks to everyday life. And it speaks the truth of the things that you and I need to understand today. Now Corinth, as we talked about last week, I won't take as much time, but just briefly to say that it was a city that was right on the, the, the shore of two seas, the Aegean and the Adriatic Sea, and right there is a place where all the ships would come in, and as the ships would come in, the sailors would be there, and there was a, a, just a huge amount of commerce, and it was a very wealthy place, but it was also a very philosophical place, a lot of thinkers and great minds, and they thought they had the wisdom of the world, and at the same time, it was also a place of heavy idol worship and immorality. The, the central focus of Corinth was a huge temple to the goddess Aphrodite. And the people would come into the city and there was drunkenness and immorality and people sleeping with the, the temple prostitutes. And really it was a place that was so depraved that the, the, to be a Corinthian was referred to as a, a term for debauchery or sexual immorality. If they called you a Corinthian, it was a slur or a curse word. And much like the, the world we live in today where we have dialed down the truth and we are so caught up in pursuits of wisdom and pursuits of physical pleasure. And, you know, it's Corinth by the sea, much like it is here in Santa Cruz or in California. You know, very much the same has happened in the United States today. We're pursuing wisdom and we're pursuing pleasure instead of pursuing God. And so too, as we hear these words coming back from Paul, because Paul, this was a city of 700,000 people. It was a city where he had spent Uh, 18 months of his life planting a church in the midst of a godless people. And as we said last week, the best place to take a halogen light is the darkest place around. You find the place that is in most desperate need of the truth, what better place to take the gospel? And this church had been planted, but in the midst of it, Paul had gone away. He's been gone for four or five years now, and he starts getting word back that they've fallen into the sin of the world, that the church was becoming like the world. And again, there's nothing new under the sun because we see a lot of that today. And we're going to address that this morning as we continue on looking at the power of the cross and how much of the church today has turned away from just preaching the simple truth of the gospel and is more worried about pleasing ears and tickling the ears of men and preaching to the felt needs of what men think they need to hear instead of pointing people to the true solution, which is Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Amen? That's the answer for mankind today, and sadly what we're seeing is much like in Corinth, they had turned away to, to sexual immorality. The, the, the 
Believers were suing each other. They were selfish. They were abusing the Lord's Supper. And they'd even began to deny the resurrection. You saw last week that not only the, the struggles that they had were of two, ma- two major things that we looked at last week. Number one was that as Paul heard the news that they were walking in immorality, he wrote them the first part of the chapter about what they were called to be and who they were called to be. And you know what? It's good for us to be reminded as Christians who we are in Christ. And last week we saw him reminding them, you guys are set apart to serve God. You've been sanctified. You've been blessed. God has his hand on you. God has a calling on your life. And you know what? You're not to be like the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. We minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. And Paul, this guy's heart was broken. The heart of a pastor hearing that this church that he'd helped plant four or five years uh, later, has now fallen into immorality and idol worship, and he's calling back or writing back to instruct them to bring them back into right fellowship with the Lord. Also, we noticed last week that he called believers saints. And it's important to note again that a saint is not somebody who certain churches would tell you have to be canonized because they've done miracles and now they're dead, right? A dead saint is a dead saint, right? The reality is, that you're either a saint or an ain't, as we talked about last week. And if you've been born again, you're a saint. That means you're set apart to God and that you are his child and you've been adopted into his family and he called them saints. And it's amazing that he called these guys that were struggling with sin saints. But again, that shows God's grace. God sees us through the cross of Christ, not our good works. God doesn't look at us and see us, okay, now you're living perfect, now you're a saint. Oh, you blew it, now you're not. Aren't you glad that we're not doing this with God every day, amen? Aren't you going, oh, I'm saved, no, I'm not. No, I'm saved, no, I'm not, man. And there's just this heavy-duty thing that come upon on people because they're so concerned about being perfect. Understand God's grace. You're a saint. And God loves you. And He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. And we're going to see again that the power of salvation doesn't come in our good works, but it comes through the cross. So He reminds them that they're recipients of God's grace, that they've been gifted by Him, and that they're called by God to walk in holiness. But then the second thing that we saw last week is that they were a church that had become divided. And what were they divided about? They were divided about which human leader they wanted to follow. Remember that? I'm of Peter. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. We're of Paul. He founded the church. And I'm, you know, he was the one that founded it. I'm with him. And if he leaves, I leave. You know what? We see that today, don't we? The pastor leaves, half the church leaves with him. Why? Because we're following a man instead of following the Lord. You know what? Any church should be about Jesus Christ, not any man. Amen? He's the one that's magnified and glorified and lifted up. All the men are replaceable. God is not. Amen? He's the one we worship. And sadly, they were divided, and Paul's heart broke. And he says, man, wait a minute. Can you imagine? You find out, hey, the people back at your church are arguing, and a bunch of them are lining up with you. And Paul's like, hey, don't don't even put me in that argument. Leave me out of it. I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys, he says. You know, I'm glad because, you know what, I I don't want to take any credit for the actions you're taking right now. And some of them say, well, we want Apollos because he's more eloquent. We need an eloquent speaker at our church. We need somebody who's more charismatic and has those kinds of gifts. We can't just have the guy who's real. And then others said, well, man, that guy's charismatic, but his words go right over my head. He's using these $75 words. I don't understand anything he's saying. He's talking about the iconoclast or the paradigm or the what is he talking about, right? And he's just going right by me. We need someone simple. Bring that fisherman down here. We're of Peter, right? And people just started dividing up, following men instead of following God. And Paul writes a letter to him and says, you guys be of the same mind. As Christians, we are to be one in Christ, amen? 
We're not to fight over, well, I'm, and hey, let me say this. I have pastors that I love to listen to. I, there are certain guys that I love to listen to on the internet. I love to listen to on the radio. I, you know, I will always love Pastor Chuck and John Corson and Raul Reese and others. They're guys I just love to listen to because they minister to me. But you know what? I'm not of Chuck Smith. I am of Jesus Christ. Amen? And you know what? We don't follow men. We follow the Lord. We're disciples of God, not disciples of men. And this division was just breaking his heart. And he wrote him and said, guys, we're called to be in fellowship with one another, united with one another. The other churches here in town that love the Lord are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're our family, not our competition. Amen? And here's the reality. The big ship's going down, and it doesn't matter which lifeboat they get into, just that they get to shore. May we not be pulling people's arms trying to get them into our boat and, break, you know, and, and popping their sh- shoulder out of socket, right? I mean, our heart ought to be, let's get them to shore. Let's get them to Christ. And may, we should be praying for the other churches in town, not competing with them. We should be united in our focus and our passion to reach Santa Cruz County, Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, for Jesus Christ. Amen? And that's the point he's making is that let's be unified as fellow believers in the essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. Now I say all that to tell you that this morning, that while there are non-essentials, there are, so, there are also essentials that are non-negotiable. Amen? What kind of music somebody plays for worship should not divide the church. How people dress when they come to church on Sunday morning should not divide the church. Praise God for that. Amen? Look around our church, right? Amen? It's all good. We can wear shorts and flip-flops because we've got malice on the outward appearance and gallics on the heart. Amen? But some churches, if you don't have a tie on, them, but here's the reality. You want to wear a tie to church? God bless you. You want to get dressed up? That's great because it's all about our heart, not how we look. Amen? It doesn't matter what color your hair is or how many earrings you've got or any of that stuff. All right? Here, God looks at our heart, and those are non-essentials. We don't have to debate over that stuff, but there are essentials. And we're going to talk about one of those this morning. We're going to talk about one that is being watered down by the world today. And there is a real danger that when we follow men's methods or even some denominations, we lose sight of the message. And and, and I want to say this real clear this morning. You guys know I love you, right? Amen. I mean, you know I love you. You know I pray for you every week. Can I tell you that this morning I'm going to share some truth with, with you that some of you are not going to like. And hopefully you'll know that it's being delivered in love, okay? Because I do love you guys, and as your pastor, I'm called to rightly divide the word of truth. And some of the things that that the whole world has been caught up in are not of God. And it's not the message of the cross, it's the wisdom of men. And we don't follow the wisdom of men, we follow the Lord, amen? And it's so easy for us to just, well, it sounds good, let's just follow it. Well, we're going to see this morning as we go through the text... That it's the cross of Christ that saves us. And we're going to look at the most central point of the gospel message. And that central point, again, is the power of the cross. But sadly, there have been men and methods and even entire denominations that have watered it down to the point of rendering it to be less than what it is. Or they've denied the need for it altogether. You know what, guys? If we don't have the cross in common, we have nothing in common. Amen? While the non-essentials about what kind of worship music you play or how we dress or what kind of building you meet in or those kinds of things are non-essentials. There is an essential, and it is the cross. And if we deny that, we are not Christians. Amen? We are not followers. They are not brothers. We need to pray for them that they will see their need for a Savior. I don't care how wise you are or how, quote, holy you think you are, you need Jesus. And it's the cross alone that saves us. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we continue on.
And it's the most central point of doctrine, again, between it is the division between salvation and judgment, between faith and unbelief, and between heaven and hell. Pastor Dave said hell. You know, there's churches that don't want to, don't talk about hell because people won't come back to your church next week. Here's the reality. We need to be taught about it so we don't experience it. Amen? We need to understand that God loves us, but there is, the cross is a place both of salvation and a place of judgment. It's a place that we can either be born again or we can, or a place where we look at the cross and we reject it and we'll face its consequences. So we're going to hear a pastor's heart. Paul's going to address his brethren who've been both corrupt and divided, living in the midst of immorality and idol worship. And again, he's going to speak to these guys living in the day of great philosophers and tell them it's not the wisdom of men, it's not the methods of men, but it's the message of the cross. That's what we need, and nothing short of that. So let's go back and look at verse 17. Paul's addressing them. He's finishing up, talking to them about being united. We looked at this verse last week. We closed with it, but I'm going to kind of just touch on it again. And he's going to talk again about the power of the cross. Where's the power to live a transformed life? You know, if your life is missing something, what's missing? What do you need? Do you need a self-help group? Do you need, you know, do you need more you know, worldly wisdom from dead atheists? We're going to talk about that. No. What we need is we need a relationship, a deeper relationship and understanding of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where our hope is. Verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. What was Paul's calling in life? Was to preach the gospel. Do you know what? You know what your calling is in life? To preach the gospel. The Bible says when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he looked at the believers who were standing there. What did he tell them to do? Go therefore into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and be as popular as you can be by meeting the needs of men. Go into all the world and, you know, don't really talk about the, the hard truths because people might be offended, but just go out and, you know, just give them the mamby-pamby, you know, put your arms around it. No, that's not what he said. He said, preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, and Jesus Christ alone is God, and He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him, and He died on the cross, and He took our sin, and He rose from the dead, and He's coming back. Amen? That's the gospel. Not anything less than that. And again, there's men and methods and things that want to water down the truth. And look what he says here. He says, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. I'm not trying to dazzle people with my eloquence. Paul didn't get up and think, if I flower that word just the right way, no one will be offended. If I come around the back door and tell them about Jesus, right? Do you see any prophets in the Bible coming around the back door with the gospel? Yet I have pastors tell me all the time, well, we just want to bring them in and make them a part of the community. And once they're a part of the community, maybe at some point down the road we can sneak the gospel in. We're not sneaking the gospel in here, amen? We need to tell, hey, you're sinners, amen? You need Jesus, amen? Was that so hard to take? Here's the reality. Praise God for the cross. Because if we don't see we're sinners, we'll see no need for a Savior. He says, I'm not going to use flowery words just to try to puff people up. I'm not going to dial down the gospel. I'm not going to make the cross less than it is. We're taking communion this morning. It's so important that we never water down the cross of Christ. Amen? Don't make it less than it is. It's everything. It's where our salvation comes. 
He didn't preach seven ways to overcome doubt or five steps to financial freedom or the power of positive thinking or how to overcome addiction or to increase your self-esteem or to heal your inner child or to let go of your old baggage. He didn't preach any of that, did he? Isn't it amazing that the church existed for 2,000 years without all that stuff? But now we think we have to have all that or we can't survive. Is the cross of Christ sufficient? Yes. Yes, it is. Amen? It's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We don't need all this other stuff. And the church today has become a smorgasbord trying to meet the needs of men instead of pointing people to Almighty God. He loves us, you guys. He's a great God. Why would I want to go to anyone but Him? Why would I want to seek the wisdom of men when I can have the truth of God? And again, I know I'm getting in some people's kitchen this morning, and I love you guys, okay? I love you guys. I know some people are sitting there going, man, he's killing me, but here's the reality. I just want you to know that the Lord loves you and you don't need a substitute for the cross. You don't need anything else. You just need the Lord. You want a better marriage? Put Christ at the center of it. You want to, you want to have a stronger walk with the Lord? Put Christ at the center of it. You want to be able to, to live life with joy? Put Christ at the center of your life. You don't, here it comes, you don't need 12 steps. You need one step, Jesus Christ. Amen? Oh, people are... Pastor Dave. It's all right. I love you guys. I catch more heat for this than anything else, but we're going to talk about it some more. So you can just, just write all your notes and put them all in one letter to me. It'll be all right, okay? <laughs> Here's the thing. The Bible says every man who is in Christ is a new creation. Is that true or not? That's a fact. The Bible says it, amen? But we don't want to believe it. That's too simple. I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become too. I back and live in my past for the next 10 years and have four therapy sessions a week to deal with my baggage and my issues. No, you don't. You're a new creation in Christ. Amen? Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And that's who you are. And when we say, no, I got to deal with my stuff, we're saying Jesus lied when he said, tetalistai, which means what? It is finished. He didn't say there's a good start. He didn't say there's step one of 25. He said, it is finished, amen? And it's the power of the cross that transforms our lives. Again, I love the fact that he says, it's not the wisdom of words. Don't minimize the cross. Don't make it less than it is. Don't say, well, that, you know, but we need professional help. The word of God's not enough. We need professional help. I'm going to talk about that. Look at verse 18. Look what it says. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. The focal point of our fellowship is our common salvation, that we have the cross of Christ in common. What are you following? The cross of Christ or the wisdom of men? What are you pursuing? Where do you find your hope? Where do you find your peace? Is it in the Lord or is it what the world has to offer? Again, Satan's not going to show up at your house with a pitchfork and horns growing out of his head and say, come follow me. We're not going to fall for that, right? Amen? Uh, I don't think so, right? Not interested. Get lost. But what will happen is it will come disguised in other things that take our eyes off of Jesus and put it on things of the world instead. And we'll start following and pursuing, and that's where my hope is, and that's where my joy comes from, and that's what I need to survive in life. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and Lord, I need you, and I don't need anything else. You're sufficient. You're faithful. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who reject the cross, the idea of being saved through the work of the cross makes no sense to them. 
but to those of us who are being saved, it is the source of our salvation. Again, I'm deserving of death, but by God's grace, He took it upon Himself. Do I deserve to die? Yes. Do I deserve judgment? Yes. Do I deserve to be separated from God for all eternity? Yes. But by God's grace, He took my punishment, He took my place, because He loves me, and that blows me away. One of the greatest biblical truths you'll ever hear was my favorite song singing with my kids, and I sang it as a child, is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Amen? Jesus loves you, and why would you want to turn to anything less than the creator of the universe to deal with your struggles and your, and your heartache and your brokenness and your problems? Why not come to the, the almighty God who loves you, the God who can never stop thinking about you, the God who, who you're always on his mind, who's numbered the hairs on your head, who's written your name in the Lamb's book of life, who's preparing a mansion for you in heaven? Why would you want to go to anyone less than him? When you realize how much he loves you, it should cause you to run to him in trials, not run from him. Amen? When difficulties come, run to the Lord. Don't run from the Lord. So, it's through the power of God. It's the power of God. The cross is the power of God that you and I can be saved. Without His death, burial, and resurrection, we are hopeless. But it's this very message of the cross that is under attack today by men, methods, and entire denominations. Okay, here we go. I'm going to just share my heart with you guys, all right? Typically, I just go verse by, but I'm going to take a few moments. I'm going to camp here. I don't usually do this, but I'm going to. Because I believe that this is such a powerful point of Scripture that I don't want anybody to walk out of here having any misunderstanding of what I'm talking about. Give you some examples. Secular philosophers all over the world today are denying the power of the cross. And sadly, many Christians are following after them. Who are some of them? How about men like Freud and Jung, fathers of modern-day psychology? These guys are atheists and they're dead. Do we need their help to live life? The answer is no. And sadly, churches today welcome in psychology and things like that. Psychology is from the pit of hell. How was that? Is that pretty direct? It's from psychology. Psychology. Here's the reality. What does psychology say? Psychology says esteem self. What does the Bible say? Deny self. Psychology says you can overcome your problems through your own efforts. The Bible says without him, you can do nothing. Psychology says that you're the focal point of the universe. The Bible says that God is the focal point of the universe. These things are total opposites. You cannot have Christian psychology. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't work. And again, churches all over the land today have psychologists on staff. Well, you know what, we, you know, the Bible doesn't really have an answer for that, so go talk to the psychologist who was trained in you know, Freudian thought. And Freud's in, I don't need, Freud needs my counsel. I don't need his. Amen? Because we have Jesus. We have the answer. We have the hope. We have life. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. They need to hear about the truth. And sadly, again, what, what has happened is this poison has spread not only through the world but into the church. And it preaches that man's nature is not sinful but good. Psychology says you are inherently good. The Bible says you are inherently sinful. Which one's true? Those both can't be true. They're exact opposites. Amen? And I know you, some of you struggle. I've been going to a therapist for 10 years. You don't have to go anymore. You don't have to go anymore. You know what else? The gospel's free. I'm not going to charge you for it. You want to come down and be counseled from the Word of God? You come down to the office anytime you want. We'll counsel you for free for the rest of your life if that's what you need. But you won't need it for the rest of your life because the Word of God will transform your life. Amen? And so the whole point here is that we do not need to follow the wisdom of men, but the Word of God and the power of God. 
And it shuns repentance and brokenness and man's desperate need for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And sin becomes a disease. I have a disorder. That's my problem. I have a, this is my, I have a disorder. I have a disease. No, you don't. You're a sinner. Amen? And that's all of us. We're, drunkenness becomes alcoholism. You know, having a, being out of control anger becomes, I'm a rageaholic. Right? Somebody who struggles with lust and cheats on his wife is a sexual addict. No, you're not. You're an adulterer. Man, that's just rough. Right? If you're visiting today, usually I'm nicer than this, I promise. Okay? <laughs> but here's the reality. God's word... God's word is sufficient, and we don't need to run to men, and we don't need to have the excuses for our sin, and we don't need to try to dial it down. And, and Well, it's a chemical imbalance. By the way, if a great book in our bookstore, don't all of you run over there and get it at once. One of the best books I've read in the last 10 years is called Psychology Debunked. And I did not know this, but do you know how chemical imbalances are measured in man? I thought they did like medical tests, no? You sit in from a therapist and they say, oh, you're depressed yesterday and you're anxious today? You've got a chemical imbalance. Here's some drugs. That's a fact. We want to medicate away conviction. Maybe you're depressed because you're struggling in sin and you need to repent. You need to get right with the Lord. And medication is not the answer. Repentance is. Amen? And too often, again, we don't want to hear that. It couldn't be my fault. My, my mom and dad did it to me right? We want to place the blame. It's my genes. I'm my genetic. I'm from a dysfunctional family. You've heard me say this. Every family that ever existed was dysfunctional because they're all sinful. Amen? Cain killed Abel. That was the first family. One brother killed the other. The first two brothers, one of them killed the other, right? Dysfunction is everywhere. If you your family's dysfunctional, you're all simple. Yes, they are, amen? And so the answer isn't pursuing the knowledge or wisdom of men, but the cross of Christ. He's sufficient. He's the answer. This is not popular in the world today. When this goes on the radio, I'm in trouble. I'm in so much trouble. Let me pick it out front. But here's the thing. The answer to every anxiety, every fear, every, quote, disease, every, quote, disorder is Jesus Christ. He's the answer. And we don't need anything else but Him. But Pastor Dave, they therapist told me the therapist needs to get saved. I don't care. What does the Bible say? Which is the authority? The wisdom of men or the Word of God? Show me in the Bible where they medicated away people's struggles with sin. Show me in the Bible where they said, well, you need a self-help group to get with a bunch of other people who sin just like you do, and you can all talk about your sin so you'll feel better about it. Right? I don't get it. You know what, we're not going to have all those groups in this church, you know why? Because all of us are sinners and we need to be in this group right here, loving on each other and being taught the word and realizing who whom the Son sets free is free indeed, amen? And we're, we're new creations in Him and we don't have to deal with that stuff anymore. It's been dealt with at the cross. Well, that was just the religious, that was just the secular philosophers. What about the religious philosophers? By the way, you don't need to be delivered from anything you've been delivered if you're born again, Amen? I need deliverance prayer. Are you born again? Yeah, you've been delivered. You don't need any more deliverance prayer. You've been delivered. You're a new creation in Christ. What about the religious philosophers? What about the, the Dalai Lama's been on TV lately? If you're here in Santa Cruz, that's a big guy to watch on TV. Does that guy have anything for you? The answer would be no. That guy needs Jesus. Amen? Because a guy puts on a turban and talks with an accent, everybody flocks to hear what the guy has to say. And the reality is, the guy is a sinner in need of a Savior, amen? And they sit around and make sand things, and everybody, oh, and they, I don't get it. 
I did, it just shows me people need Jesus so desperately. Again, this guy, what's his name? Chopra's on TV, or Tony Robbins, or you know these modern New Age gurus. I don't need your help. I need His help. Amen? I don't need the wisdom of men. I need the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's Jesus I need to transform my life. I need to be touched by Him and transformed by Him. You know what? All these guys will tell you that the answers are within you. No, they're not. The answer's not within you. Oh, you're on a spiritual journey trying to discover the meaning of life. Uh, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? And those two things do not go together. And I don't get it. When there's, well, I do get it because the world is so lost that they chase after everything and deny the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to them. They'd rather believe some guy, you know, a big fat Buddha, right? A big fat dead block of wood. They'd rather trust in that than trust in the cross. They're going to take an orange and put it in the, you know, Buddha's lap and go, that's going to help me right there. They'd rather arrange their furniture to get feng shui. <laughs> right? I need some positive chi. What? Isn't cheese something you put on a ham sandwich? I'm not sure. But here's the thing. I don't get it. But people would rather say, if you just move your furniture a little bit, you'll have peace. But the cross is foolishness. I don't get, again, it's the world we live in today that would rather believe any nonsense than just trust in Jesus. The religious philosophers of the day deny the sinfulness of man, the deity of the Christ, Christ and power of Christ. The deity of Christ and the power of the cross, excuse me. Then you have false prophets. So along with philosophers, you have false prophets. Well, who are the false prophets? Muhammad is a false prophet. Joseph Smith of the Mormon Church is a false prophet. Charles Taze Russell of the Jehovah's Witnesses is a false prophet. L. Ron Hubbard, who, who started Dianetics in the Church of Scientology, who claimed to be God and then died, I don't think God dies, <laughs> is a false prophet. Mary Baker Eddy of the Church of Religious Science is a false prophet. Pastor Dave, your name and name. Yes, we are, because a lie is a lie, and there's no problem pointing out a lie. Amen? And say, oh, man, you should be more. You should be, you know, put your arm around everybody and sing kumbaya, right? Here's the reality, you guys. If they deny the cross of Christ, they are not our brothers, but we need to pray that they might become our brothers. Amen? We need to pray for their salvation and say, guys, the answer is not in some dead guru. The answer is not in some, you know, false belief system that you're going to be God of your own planet one day. That's not the truth. These guys are false prophets. They all preach another gospel, and all of them deify man and humanize God. They make man more than he is and God less than he is. That's a sign of a cult. A cult, God's less, man's more every time. You're going to be God of your own planet one day. Well, that sounds pretty good. You can have as many wives as you want, and you can be populating all kinds of planets. That sounds good. I like that, right? It's a man-centered thing, right? And by the way, God, he just was a man on another planet one day, just like you. And now he just happens to be God of our planet. This is just one of the ones that he got to populate. Oh, really? So he was just like me at one point. Oh, yeah. That's the Mormon doctrine right there, if you didn't know it. That's an absolute fact. That's what the Mormon church teaches. It makes Jesus lesser. To the Muslims, he's a lesser prophet. To the Mormons, Jesus is the brother of Satan. If you didn't know that. To the Jehovah's Witnesses, he's Michael the Archangel. And to religious science, he's just a created being and he's not God. So philosophers and false prophets say the cross of Christ isn't good enough. It's foolishness to us. We would rather pursue our own path and our own ideology in our own way. And then lastly, not just men, but also methods. There are methods within the church 
And again, my heart is I'm not attacking any church individually because not all that use these terms fall under this. But some of the quote, seeker-sensitive or purpose-driven or church-growth churches, not all of them, some, okay? So I'll make that real clear. Some of them have a focus of making people comfortable at church. I want the unsaved to feel so comfortable at church so I'll never talk about hell, I will never talk about sin, and I will not tell them what they need to do to be saved because they might not come back to church next week. And it's all about drawing a crowd. And they use marketing to draw the church instead of healthy sheep begetting healthy sheep. Instead of somebody being born again and becoming contagious and drawing people unto the Lord, we've got to get slick marketing. And sadly, I was talking to a pastor yesterday that the father of, of, the, of the whole you know, seeker-sensitive movement had this big thing over the weekend, and for $225 a person, you can sit and watch this video, or this patched-in satellite deal, and thousands of people all over the world watch this thing, and guess what? There were eight speakers, and four of them were not even Christians. Four of them got up and said, here's how you market to people, here's how you draw in a crowd. The Bible says to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, Amen? But what we've done is we've turned the church into a business. We've turned the church and we need to hire a CEO and someone who's charismatic and find a way to draw a crowd instead of just preaching the word, seeing lives transformed, and the world being turned right side up as people who are sold out for God go out and impact it. Amen? That's the point of the church. Did the first century church have a marketing campaign? In the book of Acts, did they hire a marketing firm? So how do you think we should get this out? What do you think? I'm thinking flyers would be really good. You know, I think we should have Bozo in the parking lot next week. That would be great. Let's get a petting zoo. And, you know, and we do all these things to draw a crowd instead of just, let's go preach Jesus. What happened? 3,000 souls were added to the church in a single day. You know what? There's not a secret church on this planet that's had 3,000 people get saved in a day and truly saved. But it happened in one day with a church that only had 70 people in it. You want to talk about church growth? And what happened? The Holy Spirit fell on them, and man, they just preached the gospel with boldness, and people got saved. It's the Holy Spirit that adds to the church, not our great marketing tools. Amen? And so, and again, I know, please, my heart is not to, I'm not attacking anybody, but what I'm telling you is that the cross of Christ becomes foolishness, and we want to water it down and make it less, and not preach it with boldness because somebody might be offended. And you know what? I'm going to stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, and I'm going to be accountable for what I tell you guys. And I, I do it with fear and trembling. Every time I teach you, I pray and say, Lord, it, I'm desperate for you. Lord, for the sake of your people, use this unworthy vessel. And Lord, let it be your words and not mine. And my prayer is that I would never water down anything because I'm more worried about being popular with you than I am being faithful with God. And you know what? It's not a popular message to do that. So instead of what they need to hear, the truth of the gospel, what they do is they tell them what they want to hear. You're so wonderful. You're so perfect. You're so great. You, you know, let's talk about how you can use God to make your life better. That's not the message of the cross, amen? The message of the cross is we are, are desperate sinners and we need to know Him. And we need to worship Him. It's about Him, not about us, amen? The focus is Him, not me. Lastly, denominations. Virtually every Christian denomination began as a mighty move of God, but over time they've watered down or denied the gospel altogether. Movements become memorials all day long. Churches that were once just used mightily by God, now what do they do? Now they're more concerned with, you know, affirming homosexual marriage than they are preaching the gospel. That's an absolute fact. 
There are denominations up and down that, that don't believe in the inerrancy of the Bible anymore. Don't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Don't believe that he is God made manifest in the flesh. Do not believe in the cross of Christ. Do not believe in the resurrection. Don't believe in the literal heaven and hell. And that, yet they call themselves Christian churches. What's the point? If you don't believe in the cross, put up some horns and call it the Elks Club. Amen? Because it's over. You're not a church. And sadly, there are denominations all over this country today that deny the cross of Christ. And again, is that being hard to preach the truth? No. Are they our brothers in Christ? No. Do we need to pray for revival in their church? Yes. Do we need, we need to pray to see them walking with the true and living God? Do we need to love them and reach out to them? Absolutely. But I'll tell you what, it just grieves the heart of God to see what is happening with those who, who call themselves part of the church. Other churches say the cross isn't enough. They believe in the cross, but the cross isn't enough. You've got to be baptized in our church, in our baptismal waters, on, you know, the third Sunday of the month by, by Pastor Fred, or you're not going to heaven. You think I'm kidding. It's a fact. You've got to be baptized our way, in our church, according to our rules. You've got to keep our sacraments, because the cross is not enough. That's watering down the cross, isn't it? Isn't that making the cross less? When Jesus said it is finished, that's now a lie. He's a liar. Uh, no, you're a liar. He's telling the truth. Amen? I trust him. I trust his word. He's a faithful God. You know what? The church doesn't need better marketing, more charismatic personalities. doesn't need to water down the truth. It doesn't need to address man's felt needs. It needs to simply preach the cross of Christ without compromise. Amen? It's the greatest act of love ever. We should be blessed by it. It should not be... A, Man, I, I, when I look at the cross, I'm so blessed. And lastly, there was, I'm going to name names of this guy because he just kills me. Have you ever heard of Robert Schuller? Ever heard of him? I was watching TV one day and he was talking about, and he kills me, but he was talking about the seven S's to salvation. And I thought, wow, to becoming a Christian. I said, I'm watching this. So I stopped <laughs> and I thought the first one would be sin and separation and salvation. You know what it was? The first one was self-esteem. And he said when he sees the cross, he thinks of a big plus symbol. It makes him think positive. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. Amen? That is a lie. Is that a lie or not? And, we, and you know what happens? Thousands of people flock to that church and flock to it, and they're not preaching the gospel. I feel like a voice crying out in the wilderness sometimes, but here's the reality. It's Jesus Christ. And Christ. I mean, I, I keep praying that I get to sit next to that guy in a plane or something, you know? <laughs> Lord, just put me in the plane next to him on like a 12-hour flight, you know? <laughs> Please, right? I did, and again, I just want to lovingly share the Lord with them, right? And man, dude, you're going to be accountable for God. You know, it's not about being positive. It's not about esteeming self. It's about denying self and being desperate for God, amen? amen. I know I put a lot into that verse. But again... <laughs> I don't do that very often. But the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying. But as, to us, it is what? The power of God. May we never make the cross less. May we never dial it down. May we never water it down. May we never say it's the cross plus something else. Verse 19, look what he says about the wisdom of men. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So these guys who are wise with a bunch of letters after their name, who think they've got life all figured out apart from the cross, what does it say in this verse? It says he will bring their wisdom to nothing. I guarantee you that when Freud stood before Almighty God, he wasn't trying to explain theories to him. 
He was on his face. Oh, right. Repent. He wasn't repenting, but he was confessing him as, as, as Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And he did. And, and Muhammad bowed to him and Buddha bowed to him. And they're all bowing to him because they're all false gods. He's God. And he says that wisdom that you put, oh, oh, but this guy's so wise. Oh, but he's so smart. He's so charismatic. He's so sinful in need of a savior, just like you. Amen? And we don't trust in men. We trust in the Lord. Verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? I'll tell you what. Everything that I, I look at from the world, if you look at it through the cross, it's foolishness. The things that people chase to find peace is foolish. The, these men that people will follow. Didn't it blow your mind every time somebody starts following some cult leader and they have some expose? And you're like, how thick must you be to be following this guy by the way i'm god i'm taking your kids okay right what is wrong with you people right and the reality is that they're looking for truth in the wrong place they're, they're following wisdom that is not god's wisdom but is man's wisdom and is man's truth verse 21 for since in the wisdom of god the world through wisdom did not know god so we don't come to know god through our wisdom we don't come to new God through our attempts or our understanding. What does every cult tell you? I have found the secret path to knowledge and wisdom of how to know God. Isn't that every cult leader you ever heard or every one of these guys on TV? They all tell you, I've got this special path that can bring you. And, and, and you see these people sitting paying 2000 bucks a pop taking notes. And it just breaks your heart because the message of the cross is foolishness. But some guy's got some wisdom. And it says here in this verse that the wisdom, those who, who, the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. How are we saved? Through the simplicity of the cross. That which is foolishness to those who are trusting in their intellect. People used to tell me that Christianity was a crutch. You ever heard that? Christianity is a crutch for the weak. I said, it's not a crutch, it's a stretcher, because I couldn't limp into heaven without the cross. <laughs> Amen? i got to be carried in fully. It's not a crutch, it's a stretcher. And here's the reality. Look what it says here, that the wisdom of the world, it's, it's, it's hopeless, it's worthless, it's the foolishness, it's the simplicity of the message of the cross that saves us. Verse 22. For the Jews request a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. The Greeks thought they were wise, the cross was too simple. The Jews were looking for a Messiah to conquer the, the Romans and to over, you know, have, take power and put them in positions of authority, so that was a stumbling block. But did he stop preaching it, or did he change the message? Oh, well, it's, it's hard for the Greeks. Let's give them another message. Let's repackage it. Let's bring in a marketing firm to make it more palatable to the Greeks. Let's do something so the Jews aren't so stumbled. Is that what happened? Or did he just pre keep preaching Jesus? As a matter of fact, he shook the dust off his feet, right? And said, you know what? Here's the simplicity of the cross. You reject it, you reject it. Let me go to somebody who wants to hear the truth. Now again, we're to reach out to people. We're to love them. We're never to be self-righteous. We're never to say, you guys are you know, so thick. What's wrong with you? We're to look at them and say, I'm just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread, and there before the grace of God go I, and it's only by His grace that I've been saved. Amen? And I should not elevate myself in any way, but I should elevate Him. And, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. Not the 
the messianic military deliverance, nor the Greek philosophical wisdom, but the crucified Savior. And notice this. They didn't just preach Christ. He didn't say, we preach Christ. He says, we preach Christ what? Crucified. There are a lot of churches today that preach Christ, but not Christ crucified. Amen? They talk about, you know, the moral example of Jesus. The fact that He was a great man or to some, the most elevated guru, trying to achieve the Christ consciousness. It's not just preaching Christ, it's preaching Christ crucified. Amen? It's the cross. I found peace where? At the cross. At the cross. That's the point of salvation. That's where we were saved. A stumbling block for those who seek signs and foolishness for those who think they are wise. Verse 24. But to those who are called, both the Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from knowing Christ. Who's wisdom? Jesus. Who's the wisdom of God? Jesus Christ. You want to be wise? Turn to Him. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? It's when we follow after Him that we have wisdom, we have hope, we have understanding of what life is all about. And note there were some Jews and some Greeks who were united in their love for God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You know what? One of the things that God, you, when you see the Lord get angry, or you see the Lord turning over tables, it was those who were self-righteous and thought they had achieved it, and they had arrived and they had knowledge. And the, they were religious men, but you know what? There are people today that think that they're so wise. And they trust in their own wisdom. And you know what? It's foolishness to God. We're so wise. We've got a satellite up in the sky that can beam down. You know what? He spoke and put all the stars up there, so don't even talk to me, right? Amen? I mean, we think we're so wise in the things that we can do, and we are nothing compared to God. Compared to God, I said it before, and I'm gonna, here comes another just... We're idiots! Amen? Compared to God, we don't know anything. Nothing. And anything we do know, we should glorify Him for giving us the understanding. Amen? And yet the world says, well, I'm really wise. I trust in me. I'm all about me. I, I've had guys tell me, I'm my own source of salvation. I'm like, dude, you got no idea what you just said. That's brutal. Can I, I'm going to pray for you, man. Well, I, you know, if there's a God, when I get up there, i got some questions. <laughs> me and God can have a little discussion. i got some stuff to talk to Him about. You ever heard that before? I'm like, you ain't going to be talking. You'll be on your face, bro. You're going to be asking no questions. <laughs> ain't going to happen, amen? And we, oh, but yeah, when God, man, me and God got something to talk about. I got to straighten him out on some stuff. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. He's got to straighten me out. How about you, amen? I don't need to straighten him out, straighten me out. You know, some people pray that way. God, let me tell you what you need to be doing. We don't tell God anything, amen? We ask him according to the... His perfect will. We don't say, God, you know what? You need to be doing this. And if you don't, oh, no, no. <laughs> Lord, help. That's a good prayer, amen? Help, Lord, I can't do it. Without you, I can do nothing. Help me. Finish up. Verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, and not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. See, those who are caught up in their nobility or caught up in their might or caught up in their wisdom, not many of them are going to be saved because they find their hope and their peace in their knowledge, in their might, or in their position. And he said, not many of those are called. There are some that are, but most are not because they pursue their position or their intellect instead of pursuing God. Verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame 
put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. So if God is using you and you're getting prideful about it, just read that verse because He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Amen? If God's using me, it's because I'm a foolish thing. Amen? Because I'm, I'm void of anything apart from Him. And to Him alone be the glory. And you look at it in the Bible, you'll notice that it wasn't Goliath on God's side whooping up on David. Because if it was, everybody would say, well, dude, was 11 foot 750. Of course he smoked that guy, right? But when David beats Goliath, everybody says, man, his God's awesome. Amen? When you got a ruddy little kid going out there with a rock fighting a warrior with a, with a guy standing in front of him in 700, you know, 125 pounds of armor and a spear that weighs more than David, and David just puts him down with a rock, right? You say, wow, God is good. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to bring down the mighty. Why? That he might be glorified. If all he used was the most intelligent and the most perfect and the most dynamic, then men would get the glory. But the fact that he uses people like me and you means that he gets the glory. Amen? And praise the Lord for that. And I love just repeatedly throughout God's Word, I love the fact that most of the apostles were fishermen. These guys were not known for being eloquent. <laughs> Pull the net out, right? You know what I mean? Shower? What's that, right? Harry, ah, you know. Go out and stay out all night smelling like fish. And God used them. Why did he pick fishermen? He didn't go into the synagogue and say, you're the most eloquent of all the Pharisees. I want... No, he went and got fishermen. That just tells me that God can use me. Amen? And that God can use you. And that should encourage you and bless you. Verse 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. That's why He uses the foolish things that He might be glorified. Verse 30. But to Him, but of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let Him glory in the Lord. You know what? We are wise, we are righteous, we are sanctified, and we are redeemed, but it's only because of Jesus. Amen? And because we are, we should point all men to Him. Hopefully some of you will come back to church next week. Um, the power of the cross. The power of the cross. Today we live in a world that is watering down the truth of the gospel. Today we live in a world that, like the Bible says in the end times, that they will raise up for themselves ear ticklers. People that will tell them what they want to hear. I like to go to that church because I, I feel really good when I go there. You know what? If I went to a church where I never was convicted of sin, I need to go somewhere else. Amen? Because conviction is a good thing. It's a thing that shows that God loves me. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines, He chastens. We need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. We need to grow in our walk. But we also need to be convicted about sin too. Amen? And that's going to happen from God's Word, not the wisdom of men. You know what? My prayer would be that when you leave Calvary Chapel, you don't talk about how dynamic the worship team was or how dynamic the, the speaker was or how great the metal chairs were to sit on, <laughs> right? But that you would leave with one heart. Man, God is so good. Man, God loves me. I'm just not worth it, but He loves me. Man, I know where I can go when I have trouble. I can come to the Lord and He'll never turn His back on me. What a great God we serve. Man, I can't believe how much He loves me. What a wonderful God. And you know what? Lord, I want to walk in holiness. I want to serve You with my whole heart. Lord, help me to serve You and to love You. May we never water down the truth of the gospel or the power of the cross. 
May we never take it for granted. The cross of Christ was the greatest act of love in all of history. He thought about you when he hung on that cross because he loves you. It was not nails that held him to the cross. It was his love for you. What a great God we serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it's not the wisdom of men that we trust in, but the word and the power of God. Lord, we thank you that the wisdom of God is made manifest in the Son. Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that he that knows us best loves us most. That everything we've ever done, you've forgiven. You've separated as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, I do pray this morning as we go to this time of communion, that Lord, we would examine our own hearts before you. And Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that's been trusting in the wisdom of men, that Lord, they would see their need for you. And they would just simply say, Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. I want you to be my Savior. Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would examine our own hearts. And Lord, if we've been pursuing the wisdom of men instead of the power of God, help us, Lord, not to seek after man's wisdom, but to seek after yours. Help us, Lord, not to find peace in what the world has to offer, but to pursue you with our whole hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, all right, we're going to go to time of communion. If you need to go to the restroom, I know your pastor went a little long this morning. We're going to go to communion now. Let me just tell you what communion is, and we'll take communion. Communion is an act of believers. If you've been born again and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, when you take communion, you're doing it. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So we're not doing this for any other reason but to reflect back on the cross and to reflect on our own hearts and how we stand before God this morning. And it's a time of reflection and saying, Lord, what needs to transpire me? You know, Lord, shine a light on my heart and show me what needs to change. And then look back at the cross and be thankful for His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and that work that He did. The bread is a representation of His body that was broken for us. And then the blood, or the juice, is a representation of His blood. And it's through one drop of His blood that all the sins of mankind have been redeemed. Amen? And so as we go to this table right now, take a moment and pray. And if you're a Christian, it's for you. If you've not given your life to Christ, the Bible says that this is not for you. But you know what? You don't have to get out of your chair without giving your life to Jesus. You can do it right now. Amen? You can just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you to be my Savior. Come into my life, and he'll answer that prayer. So we're gonna, they're going to just play a worship song. You just come on up as you, and then go back to your seat. You can take it with your family or just take it by yourself. But take a time to examine your own heart before the Lord, and let's look back to the cross and realize it's the power of the cross that brings salvation. Amen? Amen.